Hello and welcome to the Tech Diplomacy podcast brought to you from San Francisco by the Norwegian Consulate General and Open Austria. I'm Grirabe Henriksen, Consul General of Norway. Technology has always played a role in human life. Yet over the past decade, we've seen this role explode to a degree we can barely comprehend. As tech companies grow in scale, reach and wealth, governments have begun focusing efforts on bringing these new players into the diplomatic discussion. In this podcast, we invite diplomats, researchers, civil society and tech companies to talk about anything and everything at the intersection between new and emerging technologies, regulations and its implications. Join us as we explore tech diplomacy. Hi, and welcome to the Tech Diplomacy Podcast. My name is Emma Blotman, and I am the tech advisor at the Norwegian Consulate in San Francisco. My co-host today is our very own Uda Sannaker, intern at the consulate. Our guest today is Patricia Gruver-Barr, who is the Tech Diplomacy Fellow with the Pacific Council on International Policy. She leads the Science Diplomacy Fellowship Program for the National Science Policy Network, and she previously worked as a science attaché for the uh, Quebec and UK governments. She also served as the co-chair for the Science and Technology Diplomatic Circle of Boston for four years, which includes 65 member countries. Her newly published report, Tech Companies as Brokers in the Digital Age, will be today's topic. Welcome, Patricia and Oda. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you, Emma, and thank you so much for joining us, Patricia. So, Patricia, your work includes trying to define the concept of tech diplomacy. Could you elaborate on this process and what your findings have been so far? Um, for example, what do you mean by saying that the tech companies are power brokers in the digital age? Yeah, so um, from my research, I realized that certain tech companies wield more geopolitical influence than some countries. Uh, Meta, formerly known as Facebook, um, was influential in the domestic electoral processes in the UK and the US. Uh, Meta, TikTok, and YouTube were asked to preserve their content to document war crimes in the Russian war against Ukraine. Microsoft is involved in cyber diplomacy in the UN and around the globe. And uh, large multinationals in the past did not have the ability to influence the everyday lives of users around the globe um, in the way that we've seen digital companies have the ability to do so now. And so um, I think people have formerly described tech diplomacy more as a, you know, how we envision regular diplomacy. So bilateral relationship between two countries in which, you know, maybe uh, leveraging technology cooperation to further that and to strengthen that bilateral relationship. But um, in some of the research that I did, I found that tech diplomacy was more about, especially in the Silicon Valley, about how um, tech com- or tech diplomats or diplomats based in uh, Silicon Valley or the U.S. are engaging and liaising with tech companies as if they were nation states because of the geopolitical influence that they do have. Wow. So so you're saying that a few large tech companies in Silicon Valley have the economic and political power to influence uh, the entire global society. That's a very intimidating thought. Um, and it's probably why diplomacy becomes a crucial part of it. Yeah, I think uh, diplomacy was the obvious next step as these companies became bigger and more influential. 
while there are company offices in most of these tech diplomats' home countries, for example, Meta obviously has an office in Copenhagen. Um, these national policy uh, offices are disempowered within the company hierarchy, and they don't have as much influence or decision-making power as somebody in Silicon Valley does. Um, therefore, it makes sense that tech diplomats have set up shop where the decision-making power lies. Um, and so while they might get information from their home governments, who are liaising with these national public policy offices, they have the ability to engage with the decision makers in Silicon Valley. And that's why they're based there. Interesting. Yeah. And as you mentioned, Facebook or Meta and Microsoft, which companies do you see partake in the discussion and which countries have a tech diplomacy strategy or a tech diplomat? Is it for exclusively a topic of discussion in the Bay Area? So, um, like I mentioned, there is a number of companies involved, but from my research, I noticed that most tech diplomats kind of engage with Meta, TikTok, Twitter, Salesforce, Google, and Microsoft. Um, it seems like most European, not most Europeans, but a lot of European countries have a tech diplomat or at least a tech diplomacy strategy. Um, I interviewed tech diplomats from Denmark, Norway, Austria, Brazil, the UK, and Canada. Um, I don't necessarily think this is only a topic of discussion for the Bay Area. Um, I think that, you know, we can look at other technological hubs around the country. So, you know, Boston is a life sciences hub, and that might be more focused on, uh, like I said, biotechnology, um, you know, some places like Pittsburgh, which do have a large AI, AI and robotics um, research and technology base might be another place um, to look at. And, you know, places like Austin, Texas, these kind of emerging innovation hubs. And I guess we can't forget Seattle since that's where Microsoft and Amazon are both based. Um, but because I think the Bay Area is the seat of technological power in the U.S., um, I think we see a lot of the engagement happening here. It just makes the most sense. Um, and I don't think traditionally uh, people see Silicon Valley as a place where policy might be happening, but because technology is such an integral part of our society, um, I think it would be short-sighted not to consider the Bay Area as a policy hub, just because of, like I said, the technological advancements that are coming out of the area and, and the um, influence on domestic and geopol geopolitical concerns um, that these tech companies have. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, Silicon Valley, I think in many, in many minds aren't thought of as a policy hub. Um, and you mentioned in your report that there's a lack of resources in Silicon Valley from the American government side. Um, why do you think that is? And what are the consequences of not having a U.S. representatives part of the discussion Especially, uh, as you say, when other countries are having that discussion with American companies on American soil. Yeah, I think in the aughts and the 2010s, a lot of U.S. policymakers thought what is good for Facebook or what is good for Twitter or whatever is good for the U.S., which has clearly not been the case. So what is good for Facebook is good for Facebook. Um, and they don't necessarily think about the wider consequences on society at large because they're focused on maximizing shareholder value. Um, the U.S. should be part of these discussions with the wider tech diplomacy community in Silicon Valley. 
um, because the U.S. is falling behind its peers when it comes to reining in big tech. Um, while there are a number of potential antitrust uh, bills targeting big tech that are currently stalled in uh, Congress, you know, there hasn't been a, a ton of um, regulation in this space in the U.S. Um, and so while we wait to see what happens in regards to these, this pending legislation, um, I believe that the U.S. should appoint a tech ambassador who works with like-minded countries in the Bay Area to influence tech companies to uphold democratic values and human rights, which is something that a lot of tech diplomats already focus on. Um, I think this would send a signal to the tech companies that the U.S. government is concerned about the, the behavior of these companies and is allied with their foreign counterparts on issues such as digital human rights and digital authoritarianism and is, you know, allied and also finding solutions to these issues. Yes, and <clears throat> we have seen that more and more nations have sent tech, tech diplomats or envoys to engage in the Silicon Valley ecosystem. But how can they ensure that their home government is more proactive than reactive? Yeah, so as a, as a former science attaché myself, uh, I think one of our main roles was to develop foresight around emerging technologies or policies that might shape science and technology. Um, I think the same applies to tech diplomats. Um, being plugged into the ecosystem, having the right contacts who can keep you abreast of any developments that might impact your home country, and feeding that information back to your home government is a critical skill for tech diplomats to have. And I think it helps ensure that you are more proactive than reactive. Um, like I said, I think in the case of the European countries that are based um, in, the, in the Silicon Valley with tech diplomats, they're already ahead of the curve <laughs> compared to the U.S. in terms of, you know, some of these emerging, um, le this emerging legislation that's coming out, you know, the Digital Markets Act and the Digital Services Act. And you know, now there's an AI Act. Um, so I think that, you know, whatever... The tech diplomats are doing in terms of feeding policy back to their home countries is definitely working. Yes, um, and as the government is getting more involved, do you see, in your opinion, that the private sector has a responsibility to ensure democracy and safeguard human rights, uh, even on the issues that seem hard, that seem to be hard for the government itself to regulate? Yeah, I think so. I mean, these companies are enjoying the benefits of being established and located in a democratic country. So they should be part of the solution rather than the problem. Um, we've seen democracy decline around the world over the last 10 years. At the same time, we've seen the rise in the power of these tech companies, particularly digital uh, technology platforms. Um, I don't think that's just a coincidence. Um, you know, would Facebook be Facebook if it was based in China? Probably not, um, you know, so therefore I believe that because of, like I said, the benefits that they have enjoyed um, being part of a democratic society, they, they do have a responsibility to uphold human rights and democratic values. Of course, this is easier said than done. Yes, that is very true. And how do we make sure that these rights are protected and that human rights are incorporated in the tech company's behavior? Do you see any multilateral organizations engaging in this conversation? Yeah, um, there are a number of civil society organizations and multilateral institutions that are working to help these companies actually incorporate human rights teams into their hierarchical structure of the company. So, for example, the UN Human Rights Team has a BTEC initiative that works with tech companies on this very issue. 
So they work to ensure that the human rights team within these companies actually has an impact on the company and isn't just there as a marketing tool. So for example, they might ensure that the human rights team has the ability to like influence the product team instead of maybe being housed in a different part of the organization where they wouldn't have as much impact. Um, and that's, uh, they also work with the leaders of the tech companies to ensure that they understand the guiding principles on business and human rights from the UN. Um, and so they're looking at how to incorporate those with the leaders of these tech companies. And so I think that's really important. And, you know, the fact that these leaders, leaders are even engaged in this conversation is a step in the right direction. Um, I, I, I'm sure some of you have seen that this week um, that Facebook, or I'm sorry, Meta, has published a um, their first human rights report. And while it is mainly self-congratulatory, I think that, like I said, this is a step in the right direction in at least considering human rights as an issue. Um, and I, I believe that as these companies, um, you know, think more about human rights issues and incorporate them more into their um, company structure, that we will hopefully see changes. Um, that will uphold human rights and democratic values. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 really great if the UN are working with some of these companies and other multilateral organizations. Um, and you mentioned that some that Meta has published a report on this, and and you also in your report talk about um, the obstacles to better dialogue, uh, and that there are these language barriers between technologists um, and the companies and the public servants mostly that they don't understand the role of a tech ambassador or envoy and um, whether it's trade and business promotion or it's just for pure, you know, research and reporting back to their home countries. Could you elaborate a little bit about this uh, obstacle? Yeah, I think, um, you know, when the, when the first tech, tech diplomat was appointed to Silicon Valley, so the Danish tech ambassador, um, I, I think that the tech companies didn't understand the role of tech diplomats. I think they thought it was just another way to regulate them and they would decline meetings. So in diplomacy, there's something called reciprocity, which is when a diplomat requests a meeting with a government official um, in the country that they're posted and that government official accepts the meeting with the intention that a diplomat from their home country would not be declined if requesting a meeting with a government official from that diplomat's country. I know it sounds kind of confusing. So basically, it's like, if I give you a meeting, you'll give my colleague a meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, so that doesn't exist for tech diplomats. So tech companies do not have an obligation to accept a meeting. And so that's why it's more difficult to get that initial meeting than it would be for, say, you know, government official or diplomat. Um, I think when the tech diplomats first arrived in Silicon Valley, the companies would oftentimes refer them back to the public policy offices in their home countries, which defeats the purpose of having a tech diplomat based in Silicon Valley in the first place. Um, Another issue that you kind of alluded to is that traditionally consulates in San Francisco have had an economic mandate. So tech companies might've assumed that the tech diplomats were interested in discussing uh, foreign direct investment and trade opportunities rather than say, responsible innovation and human rights. Um, and I think as more tech diplomats have arrived in Silicon Valley, uh, tech companies are now more aware of their role and therefore I don't think this is happening as much. However, I think when a new tech diplomat 
arrives in town, it is more difficult to build those connections. Um, so I think, um, you know, from some of the discussions I've had with certain uh, consulates that may not have a dedicated tech diplomat. So for example, my research was funded by the Korea Foundation in addition to the Pacific Council. And it was looking at um, what Korea is currently doing in the technology ecosystem in Silicon Valley. And because they don't have a dedicated tech ambassador, tech envoy, they just have um, a director of science, ICT, and economic affairs at the Korean consulate in San Francisco. This person, when tasked by their home department to engage with these tech companies, is finding it very difficult to get a meeting. And again, he's being redirected back to the country office in Seoul. And so, you know, it's defeating the purpose of him being there. And so I think, um, you know, one of the recommendations is that um, uh, the countries that are based there um, could do something like when I co-chaired the Science and Technology Diplomatic Circle of Boston, we would oftentimes share contacts um, with each other. So let's say like, the Netherlands wanted to meet the quantum lead at MIT, I would readily provide it for them. So if, you know, with an initiative like, for example, the Tech Diplomacy Playground, where um, tech diplomats gather together, if they could include those who have an interest in tech diplomacy, but not might not have a dedicated tech diplomat um, into those conversations, so that they can also access that those contact base through the let's say tech diplomacy uh, playground, I think that would really kind of help spur, um, you know, some new thinking and, and get some of these countries that might not have the resources to have a tech diplomat um, to engage with these companies. Absolutely. We, we're, uh, Norway is the co-host of the tech diplomacy playground over here in San Francisco. And, you know, we've seen more and more countries um, join that network. Uh, Norway is actually a country that doesn't have a dedicated uh, tech ambassador or a, or a diplomat. And so we've sort of formed a strategy with limited resources. And, and you know, we're, we're part of the discussion now. Um, this podcast is sort of an initiative that we do uh, to strengthen that strategy. Um, and we do also experience that it's it's difficult to get some of these meetings um, here in the Bay Area and that a lot of these tech companies, they do rather want to talk to our home governments than us. And, and like you mm -hmm. say, that, you know, the purpose is, is no longer there. Right. Um, and so it's also our task to sort of educate and and really solidify the concept of tech diplomacy. I know that, that part of your work is, is defining it, and you've, you've come up with uh, three different um, definitions. Yeah, so um, the three definitions kind of came out of my previous role as a science diplomat. So in science diplomacy, there are three definitions of science diplomacy as well, um, and that was... Uh, kind of established by the American Association for the Advancement of Science, as well as the um, Royal Society in the UK. And so, you know, thinking about that, how can I define tech diplomacy in, in another similar way? Just because um, I think that tech diplomacy, the, the way um, people are defining it, you know, in the US and across the world, 
um, you know, looks a bit different depending on where you're based. And so that's kind of how I came up with it. And I also, you know, worked with some of the tech diplomats on presenting this and, and trying to see, um, you know, if this is something that they agreed with. Um, because like I said, I think there are a lot of different definitions of what tech diplomacy actually is. So the first definition, um, you know, is diplomacy for technology. So I think I mentioned this earlier, um, diplomacy that uh, facilitates international cooperation in order to advance technology and, and innovation. So an example of that would be the Quad governments um, who work together to facilitate um, enabling environments for 5G um, and, and test facilities for 5G. The second definition is tech for diplomacy. So tech, technological cooperation can improve uh, international relations. So one example is the Euro European Union India Trade and Technology Council that was launched in 2022. So the reason that was launched was to improve relations between the EU and India. Um, and then the last definition is, I think, what we think of as tech diplomacy specifically in the Bay Area which is diplomacy with technology. So governments engage with tech companies and civil society in a multi-stakeholder approach to safeguard responsible policies and regulations that support democratic values, human rights, and ensure a safe technological future for all. And I think that this really gets to the heart of the entire report, um, which is looking at how, you know, these tech diplomats and people that are engaging with these large technological companies um, are working to, like I said, support human rights, uh, democratic values, and, you know, looking to provide a safe uh, future, a safe digital future for all. Mm, yeah. And it's, it's almost a little bit like each definition um, different countries can resonate with, right? And so, you know, different countries might have different strategies. Um, yeah. And yeah. so... To conclude, um, what do you think, based on your report, what would be the best advice for us working in the space of tech diplomacy, whether it's uh, as a consulate or in the industry, um, to move forward and achieve better results together? Yeah, I, I think something that I pointed out in the report is that it's a challenge for tech. That's a challenge for tech diplomats is uh, measuring impact. Mm. Um, this is something science diplomats have struggled with for a very long time as well. Um, since measuring influence can be extremely difficult, um, especially in public diplomacy. So what, like I said before, in Boston, when I co-chaired the Science and Technology Diplomatic Circle of Boston, um, we held an annual best practices roundtable where we discussed how we all measured success. Um, and I think that that helped us inform our own internal metrics over the years. And I think that that's something that the tech uh, diplomacy community could repl replicate within the tech diplomacy playground. So getting together once a year, sharing like how you measure impact and, and then, um, you know, looking at those key performance indicators and sharing them with the um, home government as a way to, you know, measure the long-term success of tech diplomacy um, for that government. And I think something that you mentioned earlier was, um, you know, through this initiative, um, that you run the tech diplomacy playground, um, it would be great to see uh, more sharing of contacts and whatnot, especially for those 
um, consulates who don't have a dedicated tech diplomat um, and find it difficult to get in the door of some of these larger companies or find the right contact within these larger companies. So basically leveraging the tech diplomacy playground for these, um, you know, these two challenges, you know, getting in the door and also, um, you know, measuring impact as well. Yeah, thank you, Patricia, for great advice and also for joining our podcast today. We very look forward to seeing you more of your work uh, on tech diplomacy in the future. Thank you both for having me. And thank you all for listening to this episode. Um, you can find the links to the report in the episode description. Um, see you next time. Thank you for listening to our Tech Diplomacy podcast. Please follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts for more episodes.